If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, crushing! Deep left field! This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Outfield prospects not nearly as loaded as the shortstop position, but still pretty awesome. Let's talk about it. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today, and welcome to December. Frank Sample joined by Scotty Dub, Scott White, and Chris the Welsh. Today on the show, you got it. Top 10 outfield prospects in Dynasty, and which one of which some of those names could make an impact this coming season. Fun fact, one of them being drafted inside the top 70 overall players over at the NFBC right now. Scott, two questions for you right off the top. Where's the Santa hat, and how do you feel about soccer? I was... <laughs> <laughs> I was. I thought we could keep the soccer conversation private. I was about to ask you the same thing regarding the Santa hat because you said you were going to break yours out too, and we were just gonna we're gonna wear it straight through to Christmas. Hold on, hold on. I said this weekend the tree is going up, and that's when I'm going to look for the Santa hat. So next, did you week actually did you say that exact? Thing, I think so. I think just, so. You just mentioned uh, the tree. If I didn't, then I thought it, and I just didn't say it. Okay. So that's when did the listening. tree go up? When did the tree go up? I think this is a critical question. When Me? Did your tree, My tree? Yeah, your tree. Okay. Well, this is rehashing the people who listened uh, for for the people who listened Tuesday. But wow, Welsh. Up, I guess you didn't listen on Tuesday. After, <laughs> it went up the day after Thanksgiving. Okay. Which has always been the tradition, even when I that's was. That's what I was curious about. Was it a yeah. tradition type of thing? Like it's got to go up over. We put up ours uh, before Thanksgiving. So ours has been up. We beat all of you. Uh, You know, commies don't follow American rule. We went (laughs) before Thanksgiving. I did all that type of stuff. And I just I was just curious where it was at because I'm all for the Christmas hats and I'll I'll join you. I got a I got a whole load of them in the garage. We'll we'll break them out and we'll Christmas. We all all wear the Santa hats. 
All right. Starting next week, it's going down. I guess we're going to be talking about pitching prospects next week. And, and so we will all be donning the the Santa hat at that point. Uh, you know, little I talk. I got reindeer antlers, too. Oh, well, Ooh, Scott, you got to go with those. One thousand percent. Please break that. down soccer with those reindeer hat, uh, <laughs> antlers on, please. Uh, yeah. What would you think of the USA game the other day? We're not going to talk about soccer. Anyway, um, before we get into the prospects, Welsh, how you doing, bud? How are the white Russians? The drink, of course. <laughs> well, if you follow me on Twitter, a little too much. little too much. Uh, your boy doesn't really uh, get down too hard ever. I uh, didn't keep it relatively just, you know, narrow based and pretty controlled. I didn't really control myself on Thanksgiving. Uh, I set an over under. We hit the over and uh, kind of lost Friday, if you know what I mean. Just kind of Friday was a wash day after Thanksgiving. No shopping, no Black Friday, just laying around and trying to feel better was about it. How did you enjoy the white ride? Because I saw that you got down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I didn't post it on Twitter, but I did send you a little uh, snapshot there. They were great. They were. It was awesome. I say they because I, I did drink multiple as well, but they're really good. I enjoyed it. So thank you for, for putting me on that. There um, you go. And I guess we'll have to wait again until next year for, for some more white Russians. <laughs> Let's the next time I will have any. Yeah, <laughs> or I, anything. I, I can I can't imagine drinking those too often. Let's jump into outfield prospects. And of course, we will uh, start up top. These are the Welsh's top outfield prospects in Dynasty. And we'll start with number one on this list. Actually, two of the top three going to come from uh, the same team, in fact. The Arizona Diamondbacks. Corbin Carroll is the number one outfield prospect right now. He did have a cup of coffee with the Diamondbacks this past season, where he hit 260 with four homers, two steals in 32 games played. This dude is fast. I said it at the end of the season. I know this isn't actually true, but he looks like the fastest player, the fastest human on the planet when he's running. I, there's just something about him. He looks fast. He is fast. 100 percentile, percentile in sprint speed, according to StatCast. Monster minor league numbers, but Welsh, what I want to ask you about is the power for real? Because I know in the Diamondbacks minor league affiliates, they have some places where they play where obviously uh, offense is inflated, power is inflated. Do you think that maybe that will overproject what his power will be in the majors? How do you feel about Corbin Carroll from that aspect? Uh, I mean, I think there's always the potential for overprojection. I wouldn't say that that's not a possibility. I think the biggest thing that people look at is just like he's slight of frame. You know, he's not a big guy. I mentioned this a couple of times. I actually got to sit in with him about uh, three weeks ago, maybe a month ago. I was hanging out with him in an autograph signing and I was helping out and uh, with a person of mine, Dennis Sidler, who uh, does all that stuff. And he looked big. He looked bigger than he had ever before. He has been a monster workout guy. Something I've always loved about him, too. He's kind of had a tutelage thing. Like, he's worked with guys. I remember he worked with Jordan Lawler when they were rehabbing. He's worked with Christian Robinson whenever he comes back. And he's always talking swings. He's a baseball guy. He's kind of an analytics guy. He's really smart. And, you know, I'm open to the possibility of the inflated numbers, but listen, the guy hit 24 homers last year in 93 games, and he still hit seven in the PCL. He hit 16 of them in the Texas League, which might be a little bit more friendly, but that's not something that he's not going to be capable of when he gets to the majors. I think I've talked about this before. Maybe think Mookie Betts, and I don't want to make it like a crazy thing because you don't want to get nuts about it, but like Mookie Betts had the kind of slight of frame, but he had the wherewithal, the bat speed, and the barreling to make the most out of those hits, and Arizona is a hitter-friendly place. I really, truly believe, I don't know if it's going to happen this season, kind of saw it fall apart a little bit with like an Alec Thomas. I think Corbin Carroll is a legit 
2040 candidate in the major leagues. And I don't know if it's going to take a couple years or not, but I really, really believe in the bat to ball skills with him and seeing him get bigger. Cause I saw him as this like little kid that came out, this skinny little kid. And this guy is building muscle on what is acknowledging a slight frame, but I try to liken it to Mookie Betts a little bit. And I don't think there's a lot of holes in his game. It's just going to be learning the game of baseball and repetition like he's done in the minors at the major leagues and just personally being around him for as long as I have. He's as smart as they come and he's as dialed in as they come. And as a you know 19 year old, he's out there coaching some of his other teammates. So I don't think he'll be a big vocal leader, but I think he'll be a behind the scenes leader. And I really, really do think that the power Though it won't be insanely substantial, maybe like a Mookie Betts putting up like 30 plus homers, I think he can touch between 15 and 20 as kind of a safe number in my mind. The early steamer projections for Corbin Carroll over on Fangraphs, 17 homers and 14 steals over 122 games. So if you think he can get to 150 plus games, that projects out as like a near 2020 player. And in fact, I agree with you, Welsh. I think the speed is more likely to come than the power, at least this upcoming season. Well, and also, you know, Tori Lovello has been very suppressive of power of speed in many years. Like you'd look at guys like, why is Cattell Marte not running? You would look at a host of these players. Why are these guys not running? All of a sudden this last year, you saw that kind of get unleashed. You saw Rojas and McCarthy both go over 20. Corbin Carroll is faster than both of these guys. And if he's hitting at the top of the lineup, they need to be aggressive. And as we've said a gajillion times on this, when there is, is an advantage, baseball will take care of it. The added base pass, the throwing over, that's going to be an advantage for Corbin Carroll that I would actually be shocked if the stolen base numbers aren't one, you know, one and a half times the home run numbers this year. So if it's 17 homers, I really think the power has got to push 25 or so. But it'll be a little indicative about what the Diamondbacks do, but they want to be aggressive. They might even jump into the scene and sign some big hitters. And hopefully Corbin Carroll is hitting at least near the top of the lineup. Scott, the early ADP for Corbin Carroll over at the NFBC is 66.4. 17th outfielder off the board. Your thoughts on that price tag? 17. Yeah. It's a little high for me. Uh, you know, I have him 22nd, so not a, not a huge difference. And, and the big drop-off comes... Oh, there's a small drop-off pretty much right after that, and then a really big drop-off a little further behind that. So, I mean, Corbin Carroll's on the right side of the drop-off for me. Uh, and, and of course, NFBC, they're, they're always going to sell out for, for upside that particular on that particular site. So you got to keep that in mind too. Corbin Carroll, of course, has a ton of upside. And I, like, I love the lofty comparison to Mookie Betts. I, I love lofty comparisons in general. I think uh, prospect evaluators in general are um, too conservative with that kind of stuff, because I mean, obviously, we know that's not the most likely scenario. Yeah. You're, you're you're trying to imagine what this guy could become, but I I will say this uh, about Corbin Carroll, um, because he is in the discussion as the number one overall prospect. I feel like compared to other prospects we've seen rank that high over the years, Corbin Carroll maybe maybe is a little more likely to reach his floor than some of them. And it, I think it's a high floor, but I guess what I'm getting at is, okay, you look at Corbin Carroll's minor league track record, very impressive. Everything came so easily to him from the beginning, even missing a lot of time to injury. That is a major mark in his favor. But we learned 
that double A and triple A for the Diamondbacks especially are just crazy hitter-friendly environments. We saw that play out with Alec Thomas after he got to the majors. The power that was showing up at those levels just wasn't there. We saw on the other end, we saw that happen with uh, the pitchers, Ryan Nelson and um, uh, Dre Jameson. Jameson. Yeah, after they got to, they they had horrible numbers. And, And then they come up and they're dominating the Dodgers and the Padres right out of the gate. And I just wonder if, you know, at a, at a time when it's really hard to gauge what any player's power translates to because of all the changes happening throughout the sport, like what does Corbin Carroll's look like? He is small. Like, that. that's not his standout skill. Like, I think he's going to be great. I'm not saying you need to sell high on him in Dynasty or anything, but I just, he doesn't seem like as much of a slam dunk maybe as as we're used to number one, number two overall type prospects being. From from a slam dunk perspective, just to throw out like, I think from a flashiness standpoint, like he doesn't have the swagger or the, you know, the name brand recognition of a Ronald Acuna or Vladimir Guerrero. But I think the floor is really there. And I think the thing that holds him back is this is a guy that is in a small market. He's in a a Diamondbacks team. This isn't a big market team. Just a couple things to throw out to Corbin Carroll. If you exclude his rookie year, which by the way, was the one that I saw in rookie ball when he was out here and he was phenomenal. If you exclude that, and I know we're talking double A and triple A, and you were also mentioning uh, if you want to even take those away. But if you add in uh, high A and low A, Corbin Carroll, besides rookie ball, has had a three, four, five slash at every single level of baseball that he's played. He has also had an ISO over 240 at every single level as well. He's slight of frame, even when he was even tinier, the power was still showing off at every stop regardless of the hitting environment. When he was out here with the uh, Diamondbacks, he did only hit two homers in 31 games, stole 16 bases. But again, you're looking at a guy who has a high walk rate, walked 60 times in the minors this past year, barely struck out over 100, has had a 3-4-5 slash at every minor league stop, a 200 ISO. He barrels up the ball with crazy speed. I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. It's just I think the floor is much higher than what is being represented or what we might think of in a top prospect with Corbin Carroll, which I think screws with our minds a little bit because this is a smaller guy. But guess what? That MLB pipeline player page of his where he's like covered in, by the way, sunblock. It's the most ridiculous picture ever. (laughs) That picture is and and the stat and the um, the measurements are not in line to where he is. He's not five foot 10 anymore. I'd say he's closer to six foot. I'm six foot four. I stood next to him. He's not one hundred and fifty pounds anymore probably close to 175. Now that's not like, ooh, let's freak out or anything like that, but he is working towards all of that with great, not just good, great minor league numbers at every single stop. The thing that is literally holding us back is our visual eyes when we see him and we're like, that doesn't look like an all-star baseball player. So I just want to throw that out there that yes, double A AA and triple A are kind of inflated, but they're not any different than what he's done at almost every single stop of the minor leagues. I think it's a fair, not a fair comp, but it's reasonable that you would compare him to Mookie Betts because he's also like a smaller guy, power, speed combination, obviously a great hit tool as well. But even like Dustin Pedroia was a small dude too, and and he was an awesome baseball player. He was a great fantasy player as well. So uh, hopefully Corbin Carroll can follow in both of those players' footsteps. Let's move over to, I'm going to throw two names together here because uh, if not, we're going to be here for a very, very long time. Jackson <laughs> Jackson Churio of the Brewers, who we spoke about a little bit last week, the minor league breakout player of the year, as we mentioned, was 
outside most people's top 100 prospects coming into the 2022 season, and now he's inside the top 10, inside the top five on some lists. Just an awesome season. 288 batting average, 20 homers, 16 steals, and 880 OPS as an 18-year-old. And he, in fact, he's younger than the player, the other player I'm going to mention, who was the second overall pick in this year's draft. Drew Jones, the son of former stud outfielder Andrew Jones. Drew Jones, I, I couldn't even believe these measurements. Six foot four already, 180 pounds as a 19-year-old projected to be a five-tool player. The only issue, I guess the downside with Drew Jones, is that he had shoulder surgery to repair a torn labrum back in August. Uh, so, Welsh, throw these two names your way. Uh, any concern over the shoulder long-term for Andrew Jones? I know sometimes it's hard to get the power back up to speed. Every shoulder surgery is created differently, so I don't want to just like lump them all in together. But your thoughts on Drew Jones and the surgery, and are you buying the hype on a Jackson Churio? Yeah, uh, with Jackson Churio, just for a minute, I am. I, and I have been, you know, from the meat arc rise he had, which was unbelievable from extended spring training to moving three levels as an 18-year-old is absolutely unheard of. Uh, a 200 ISO at the high. Uh, I almost don't want to count the double A because it was only like six games. But the, uh, the A ball and high A put up, you know, Pretty good average numbers, at least at the low A. Had great power numbers over uh, the 200 side. Uh, slugging was 488 in high A, uh, 600 in low A. He absolutely dominated. He's the youngest player at every single level. His body grew. I actually saw him during uh, instructs, and it was almost shocking to see from the skinnier kid to how big he's grown that this is real deal. I mean, the hard hit numbers, I think it was like his first day in extended spring training. He was hitting balls over 110 they put out here. And he continued that the entire season. So, I mean, the upside is real. The youth is there. The way he's pressing, this might be a 19-year-old at the major leagues. And I don't know when the last time we saw that was. Like, Justin Upton's the one that came to my mind with the Diamondbacks, but there's probably been a couple others. We don't see a lot of teenagers making the major leagues. I'm not saying he will, but how they pushed him, I would expect him to play at AA the entire season. And the follow-up is going to be the big key. But great power uh, numbers. Let's see how the swing and miss goes. And I think that's why he's near the top. And, you know, Drew Jones is a tough one for a lot of people because he doesn't have the big track record. But, you know, in Dynasty, this guy, prior to being a Diamondback, didn't matter what it was. This is the clear cut number one coming in. Body projections were nuts. He hit like over 500 in high school coming in. He can run. He can hit. He's obviously got the tutelage. You know, the Diamondbacks, unfortunately, they've, I don't know what it is about them with shoulder injuries. It happened with Corbin Carroll, happened with Jordan Lawler. They've lost some of these guys, but, um, Drew Jones has been out here. That's one thing I can say, which has been a positive. And Corbin Carroll is here. This is another one of those, just letting you know. Corbin Carroll has, in his time, worked with Alec Thomas, and uh, who had some good improvements. He's worked with uh, Jordan Lawler during that time. And Carroll is out here right now training as is Drew Jones, as he's been rehabbing. And I think that's great. I think that's great to get those guys to work together as Corbin Carroll will literally work with guys on swings. And there's not a lot of early holes in what we're seeing with Drew Jones. But the problem is, is we just don't have a lot. So this is one of those situations. This is a true dynasty debate, not like Churio. Churio has a big track record. Drew Jones does not. This is a top talent bet. This is why I have him this high. He is an absolute superstar and he will be the face of this organization, even though I think Corbin Carroll will be the leader in the future as these baby backs jump up. But sure, there's risk inherently uh, put into both of them. I think there's a lot less in Churio right now, but I am not afraid to make a jump on, uh, on Drew Jones. 
Scott, let's say you're on the clock in your first-year player draft in a dynasty league, and you have the first overall pick, and you're looking at Drew Jones and Jackson Holiday and Tamar Johnson. Are you taking Drew Jones there first overall? Yeah, I am. And I think the way uh, Jordan Lawler's first professional season went coming off that same procedure, I mean, he, he was... There was it was a big shortstop class, twenty twenty one. Four guys, Lawler, Lawler was one of them. But coming off that shoulder surgery with what he did in twenty twenty two, like he surged to the to the top of that list. Like he looks like the guy to have from that twenty twenty one draft class. So I don't let that worry me with Drew Jones, who was an easier bet than Lawler before totally. suffering that injury. That's a great point right there. All right, fair enough. Let's move into two Nationals outfield prospects here. James Wood and Elijah Green. James Wood, one of the prized assets that came over to the Nationals in the Juan Soto trade. Obviously a massive trade package that included him. Robert Hassel we'll talk about in a little bit as well. Uh, a mammoth human being. James Wood, six foot seven. He's 20 years old, and he had a monster season in the minors. Uh, not monster season, actually. It was really good, but he just didn't play that much. 76 games overall. 313 batting average, 12 homers, 20 steals with a 956 OPS. Uh, and then Elijah Green was the fifth overall pick in this year's draft. He turns 19 in just three days from now, December 4th. Happy birthday, Elijah Green, Happy if you're birthday. listening. Uh, the son of former NFL tight end, Eric Green. So another shout out there. Another one. Big body here. Already kind of developed. Six foot three, two twenty five. Uh, at nineteen years old, that is just crazy, crazy to see. Scotty, I'll start you off here. Uh, James Wood and Elijah Green. I know you're you're working up your prospect rankings, and you know not up to outfield yet, but you've got something to think about here when you're comparing these two, James Wood and Elijah Green. Who would who, who would you rather have? Ah. <sighs> Yeah, that's a that I I think James Wood. Generally speaking, I'm going to lean toward the guy who has uh, who's done it longer at, at as a professional. Uh, and, and James Wood, you know, I I liked him a lot going into last year, and I was kind of I kind of held back in in the dynasty leagues where I could have gotten him uh, because it seemed like I don't know. I I kind of just got caught up in in this the what was the popular sentiment at the time which is oh yeah there's you know there, there's upside here but you know he's not quite a top 100 guy whatever he's had big strikeout issues in the past and oh they got they they did get better late in the year but you know he's six foot seven that's probably not gonna hold and then it did pretty much hold and he continued to walk a ton he has with that six foot seven frame he has lots of power uh, it's easy to make. It's easy to make the Aaron Judge comparison with anybody who's six foot seven. Of course, we've been doing it with O'Neill Cruz too, and I don't have precise exit velocity readings for James Wood to know if he really fits in that category. But I, I think the, I think the upside is enormous with that combination of power and plate discipline, and the fact he's not getting buried alive by strikeout rate. You know, still just low A ball pitching's not great there, but even so, I, I really like the the direction James Wood is trending. And everybody else seems to too. So he's kind of priced himself out of out of the discussion in my own dynasty leagues. Maybe some shallower, maybe some shallower ones. You can still get him for pretty cheap. Welsh, where are you at on the strikeouts in particular when it comes to James Wood? I noticed a near eighteen percent strikeout rate in fifty games in the Padres organization this past season, and then that shot up to twenty eight percent in twenty one games with the Nationals. Where are you at 
on strikeouts with him. I've always struggled with him because there's something you're going to notice too. If you look at his stat line, go back and look at his 2022 when he came in the complex because he was rehabbing. And that's when I saw a ton of him this past year. And he was awful. He was horrific out here. He had an almost 37% strikeout rate. He had 125 in complex. Think about the pitchers that are out here in a complex league. He was so bad. He was overswinging everything. It was five games, to be fair. Yeah, he was, and he was awful. And I saw three of them. I went to three of them, <laughs> okay. Scotty. And he was yeah. horrific in all of them. My point to that is... And this is a personality quirk uh, I've seen with James Wood is the playing down thing didn't work for him. He's a play up guy, like coming down to a level place he didn't want to be. He didn't want to be there. And he was just getting his reps in. It wasn't trying. So he was really difficult for me to manage because then the minute he came back up, just started destroying balls, stealing bases at an aggressive clip. His strikeout rate was under 20 percent. Um, I think adjustments are very hard for him, and that's going to be a slow roll for him. I mean, I think the adjustment of going to Washington is he's got a big loopy swing. He can get on top of stuff, but when he gets his pitch, he gets his fastball, he crushes it. He's an insane physical talent, a six foot seven guy. It's kind of in the Jordan Walker mold of like, how do you have more stolen bases than homers this past year? It's just there. Long strides, long arms. He can get there with good speed, good athleticism. I do think he's going to grow out of the body, though, from what I've seen from even the very first day. He actually thinned out a little bit. I saw him uh, in his professional debut, and he thinned out from there. But, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, the list pushing 240, I think that can get a little bit higher. So I think the stolen bases will go by the wayside. I think the strikeouts will be a problem um, as he gets further up. But it doesn't change the talent. It doesn't take away from the talent at all uh, from James Wood. Uh, real quick on e Elijah Green. I know he's got big power, speed. Maybe some people have question marks about the ability to make contact. Welsh, your thoughts on that? And where would you take him in first-year player drafts? I gotta tell you, he actually reminds me a lot of uh, Jordan Lawler. Um, he was actually my number one guy very early in the process uh, over Drew Jones. Drew Jones had an insane jump as did Jackson Holiday. This was my number one guy because of the insane athleticism. Uh, already had this big mature body, can hit absolute tanks, but he uh, he does have a strikeout problem. He struck out 40% in complex league this past year. But this is similar to James Wood. It's insane talent in you know only 12 games. He still put up a 3-4-5 slash while striking out 40% of the time. A little Khalil Watson-ish, if you will, as well. Um, I don't know. I tend at lower levels to bet on massive talent. Even a guy like Khalil Watson I would throw out. Everyone's like, done, done. I'm doing a mock draft with uh, Fantrax Toolshed, and I took Khalil Watson like almost in the 200s because I still believe in big talent at lower levels because there's so much that can be adjusted to and there's so much time to readjust. So when I see guys like Elijah Green and James Wood having strikeout issues, I kind of throw it by the wayside a little bit, though it might like kind of check where we're going to put him. Elijah Green's talent is near the top. And in first year player, I've got him as my, uh, I think I have him as number two right now. I've got him and Tamar Johnson as like two, three, almost right next to each other. All right, let's move on to six and seven on this list. Two players we actually saw out at, in the Arizona Fall League, Zach Veen of the Rockies and Jason Dominguez of the Yankees. Zach Veen, a very unique player this past season, hit 245 with 12 homers and 55 steals. Every time I looked at a box score for the Arizona Fall League, it seemed like Zach Veen had multiple walks and multiple steals. The first time I saw him in the AFL, he walked and he stole a base. So he's just kind of a unique player in that way. Jason Dominguez, uh, all in all productive season as a 19-year-old, 273, 16 homers, 
37 steals, uh, did get five games in at AA as a 19-year-old this past season. Out at the AFL, I mean, for me at least, I know Welsh, you saw him a lot more. It was a mixed bag, some loud contact. He hit a double in the Fall Stars game, which obviously is pretty impressive. You're going up against the best competition there. But he also had some really bad swings, and he had some defensive miscues as well. So uh, I guess we'll start with Veen and Dominguez. Veen, where do you see the, the hit and the power coming for him? And uh, for Dominguez, do you think his ceiling is still as high as maybe people originally thought? So I think Dominguez is still sitting in uh, this middle line spot because just like you said, I think he over delivered on the season that he had and got an aggressive push. I think the stolen bases were good. He had some homers. I think he defied expectations where a lot of people were kind of down on him. Arizona Fall League was awful. It was really, really bad uh, when we kind of came down to it. it I, I thought he had some good at-bats. He was one of the youngest guys out here. His effort level stunk. Uh, he had not just a couple defensive miscues, probably the most of anybody. It was really bad. But, you know, he's still a massive talent. And I, you also have to consider a little bit in this entire process when you talk about dynasty is overall value. And the value of a guy like Jason Dominguez when he's working is enormous. And he did put up some really great counting stats. And I think some of the talent is there. I think he's in this critical phase right now that I'm struggling with of like, where are we going to go from here? Because it was a good season, not the best. It was a bad AFL, not the worst. And this is the transitional time where I think it's going to be key on him. So that's kind of where I'm sitting with uh, Jason Dominguez and Zach Veen. You know, I've talked about it uh, full on. He's one of the biggest risers that changed my mind from the Arizona Fall League because his contact-based approach, I think, is going to work very well in baseball. I think he's going to steal way more than anybody expects. He's one of the best best base stealers I've ever seen with the long stride, crazy lead uh, leads he gets on pitches as well. And he's just this eccentric, crazy athlete. But I do think you just have to know he's not going to hit elite power. He's a complete opposite of the guy that during the draft, everybody projected like, look at this guy with great projectable power. Uh, He's going to hit big. We don't know about speed. And then in rookie ball, he did the exact opposite. It's still going, but he's improving as a hitter. Doesn't strike out a ton. Like you said, he was walking a bunch. He's super aggressive. I really, really like Zach Veen. And he's a guy that I'm buying in right now because I just don't think people are there with him. And, you know, he has this, long, wiry frame where it wouldn't surprise me if he added power. He's still young enough where he could do it. I think he's turning 21 uh, this month as well in December. But yeah, yeah like that was one thing that yeah. stood out to me is that he's he's very wiry for as big as he, he is. He slugged 501 at low A uh, in 2021, did Zach Fien. And that, as you pointed out, Chris, he you know, profiled more as a power hitter when he was drafted. And it, it is like, it was such a weird season. He, he hit 245 slug 384 this year, just to put, <laughs> just to put numbers on it, uh, to talk about what a disappointing year it was for Zach Veen. And yet he stole 55 bases, stole 16 in 21 games in the Arizona fall league. And he's like, he's not that fast is, but the, the success rate is really high. He seems like somebody who takes, who knows how to take advantage of the the uh, the pickoff rules that are now coming to the majors um, and is going showing that aggression? I I am starting to be more confident that Zach Veen is going to remain a base stealer, and the fact he's going to be in Colorado, I mean, obviously that ups his his uh, offensive profile as well. It's going to help him get the most out of whatever power he ends up having. So just by virtue of the numbers being so bad, apart from the steals total in the minors this year, I think now is a great buy low, buy low opportunity for Zach Veen 
in dynasty leagues because I, I think they're going to be, as you kind of alluded to, Chris, a, a lot of people who are who are going to start fading him uh, coming off the year he had. Yeah, and the only thing I'd point out too, which is kind of interesting with Zach, I mean, when you talk about the speed in Double A um, on fan tracks under the advanced metrics, you can check out when you take a look at speed numbers. His speed number in Triple A was a three point eight, but he was an eight point seven in high A and a seven point one in uh, low A. And for perspective, the highest registered in the major leagues this year was an eight point four by Jorge Mateo. Um, just you know, just for perspective about him, because I agree, I didn't think he was necessarily necessarily that fast the guy can fly though he really can and it's it's a lot based off of this like really unique lead off that he can get and he is just long limbs that he's almost got this extra advantage of not only the bases being the tiniest bit smaller but just in his length and and where he can get to so he's he's surprisingly fast for his size and he's just one of those guys never grew into the body never grew into the body that we thought we were going to see uh which is really really unique and uh, colorado's just that extra benefit with him and i wanted to comment on um jason dominguez too because he is somebody who, who is so well-known despite having little professional experience. Uh, Jackson Chorio has kind of become what we thought Jason Dominguez was going to be. And so from that perspective, Dominguez is a disappointment. But I've noticed in my dynasty leagues that there seems... I, I'm not sure anybody's evaluating Jason Dominguez quite right because you have some still treating him like that Jackson Churio level prospect and you have others who are kind of just out on him. Oh, this guy's a bust. He's 19 years old and he got to double A last year. Like without talking about anything else, that speaks volumes of his potential to reach that level at that age. And between uh, two levels of A ball and double A, he, he reached base at a 376 clip. Uh, 16 homers, 37 steals. And he's so young still that I think Dominguez is a really good prospect. I mean, you rank him seventh here among outfield prospects, so I understand that's maybe not a a novel thing to say. But (laughs) again, it's like he doesn't have to be that top two, top three overall type talent to still be a really good prospect. And I kind of feel like... uh, People are taking extreme views with him that they don't need to take. Spoken like a real Yankees fan. I will take that, Scotty. Real quick, one-word answer. More likely to buy or sell Jason Dominguez in Dynasty right now. Scott, buy or sell? Buy, but it depends what he's being sold for. Welsh, same question. I think buy. All right. I I think buy. I've got three more here on this list, and we'll go a little rapid fire here. Welsh, you'll get Pete Crow Armstrong. Scott, you'll get Evan Carter of the Rangers. And then, Welsh, you will also get Robert Hassel. We'll go a little bit back and forth here. Pete Crow Armstrong with the Cubs came over in the Javier Baez trade a few years back with the New York Mets. And all he did, go out, have a massive season, 312 batting average, 16 homers, 32 steals, and 896 OPS. Welsh, this might be a weird question. But is he as good as the numbers suggest? Because I looked at multiple prospect outlets and they had his hit and power tools lower than I thought they were going to yeah. be. What do you think? Yeah, no, that was a really typical thing. Uh, funny enough, just to make this kind of quick, to what you're saying, I always really liked uh, Pete Crow Armstrong. He got a lot of the weird comps to like Jared Kelnick because they're both, you know, with the Mets and traded and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Pete Crow Armstrong was one of those 
really great top high school hitters uh, hit a little bit across his body, but always make good contact. That what you're just marking right there was something that he got dinged for when he was off to this insane start in 2021. It was over six games. He hit 417. I think he had a four hit game in there, a couple stolen bases. He was off great. And then he got injured and missed a bunch of time. And everyone was like, okay, well, it's a short sample size, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, no, dude, he is making really, really good changes and working out with the Cubs and look at what he's done. And then he followed that up after everybody disputed that with this minor league season where he hit 344 in a ball. He dropped down a little bit at high A, but he still hit 287. Power distribution was good. Uh, Stolen bases were aggressive across both. He hit 13 in 38 games in a ball and he had 19 in 63 games. This is a this is a professional hitter, man. I think the counting stats might be a bit inflated to who he truly is. I don't think he's going to be this big like 2030 guy in the majors, but I think he's a way better hitter than any of the outlets have had. And I think you're going to see a lot of people changing that up. So Peter Crow Armstrong on list, I think when you get into the new year is going to be ranked probably higher than Brennan Davis on a lot of others and might be the number one prospect for the Cubs in many places. And I think that'll surprise a lot of people. All right, we'll get into Brendan Davis in just a little bit as well. Scott, Evan Carter, a prospect with the Rangers, strong season all around. He hit 295, 12 homers, and 28 steals. Based on what I've read about him, he's mostly hit and speed with like a dash of power. Any thoughts on Evan uh, Evan Carter? Yeah, I, I think... I think maybe I give him a little more credit for power and a little less credit for speed. Not to say he can't contribute some contribute some of both. I, I mean, the main way Evan Carter stands out is just like plate discipline, gets on base a ton, makes contact at a really high rate. My kind of prospect, really. And I, I think uh, probably a better real-life prospect than fantasy even, at least if we're talking, you know, categories, leagues, roto leagues. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's, he should contribute, especially with the rule changes coming. He should contribute enough speed that even if he peaks as like a 20 homer guy, uh, he'll still be a quality option in fantasy. All right. Last name on this list is Robert Hassel, who came over to the nationals also in that Juan Soto trade tale of two seasons here. Well, 75 games with the Padres organization this past season, he hit 299 with 10 homers and 20 steals. 37 games with the Nats, 219, one homer, four steals. Same question as Dominguez. More likely to buy or sell Robert Hassel? I think I'm a buyer. I'm a buyer here. I think he's at an all-time low. I think people are really, really out on him. And I know there were tons of questions that I would kind of press back on a lot of people with where's the power, where's the power, where's the power? And the move didn't help him because he had 10 homers when he was with the Padres and he ended up hitting only one in 37 games in the move. So I think he's at an all-time low. Seen a ton of him. I really like his approach. I think there's going to be some aggressiveness in it, but with high contact. I He hadn't quite grown as far as his body was, and I really wanted to see it. And frankly, he was in the Arizona Fall League and he got hurt and we could have seen him a whole bunch more. Um, I think the move is rough. I don't think we account for that enough for players that a move from an organization like the Padres to the Nationals is probably pretty jarring. You have a whole different philosophy in coaching and just, you know, the mental aspect of it. So, I mean, I'm making excuses a little bit, but I just think he's talented. I think he can run. I think he's a lot like Pete Crow Armstrong, if we're being honest. Pete Crow's body is progressing a little bit more. And I'm just not ready to give up, even though it was a really, really bad run with the Nationals. I think this can turn around. I think he's an absolute deal right now because of all the players we talked about, 
he might be the lowest. He might be the lowest in value in many people's minds right now. And I, I'm not trying to say that he can be had for nothing, but I really think this is a prime buy low opportunity where you're not going to have to give up big assets to pick up a guy like Hassel because everybody is down. Yeah, I, I've tended to be lower than the consensus on on Robert Hassel. Who would, I mean, the consensus since they were both drafted was Hassel over Veen, and I was always the other way around. Uh, but even as somebody who's, who's doubted Hassel's power potential, who's been kind of the low guy on him, I've been shocked to see where he's ranked on some of these these early prospect rankings. Um, I, I just I don't see the justification for moving off him that fast. So I, I agree, Hassel's like Veen is a buy low right now. I believe we spoke about Jordan Walker on the third base prospects, but we obviously could mention him here because he's more likely to play the outfield. Actually, he is likely to play the outfield for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, Welsh, if you were ranking Walker on this list, would he be ahead of Jackson Churio and Drew Jones? He would be ahead of Drew Jones. He would not be ahead of Jackson Churio. Oh, and funny enough with me and all my little mistakes of the players and how you guys value them. I had Jordan Walker when I copied this list and sent to you. And I was like, wait a minute. I'm going to get got. I'm going to get got by Frank if I do this because of my personal list. He's going to be an outfielder. I list him as an outfielder, but clearly he's a third baseman. Uh, He's number three on the list. Okay. And his early ADP, according to NFBC, 258. Does that sound kosher? I don't think he starts on the opening day roster with... The Cardinals, but I think we could see him up relatively soon if he gets off to a nice start. Uh, I would, do too. Would you guys be willing to take him in that range, two fifty, two sixty ish? I think it's a solid value. I honestly think he has a chance to break camp with how they've moved him. Um, I think we follow it. You know, I just want to point out when we were in February. There was no indication that uh, Julio Rodriguez of last year was going to break camp with the Mariners. It seems silly at that point. And then all of a sudden hey, in March. Hey, I was saying it. All right. And I you was were smart. Draft, I was taking him in all those early mocks. What's you were super different? smart about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little skeptical that Walker, uh, not that he, he isn't talented enough to break camp with the team. I, I just think, like, who would the Cardinals be giving up on in order to do that? Like, they're. They 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 had a lot of issues in their outfield, but you know it was like Tyler O'Neill underperforming, Dylan Carlson underperforming, other guys getting hurt. Uh, of course, Lars Newtbar came on late, and I think they're still going to want to give him a, a a lot of run next year. So I'm I'm just not sure the opening is there, barring injuries, for for Walker to break camp with the team. But life finds a way, as they mm-hmm. say. And uh, if he's if he's crushing it in the upper minors, you know, at some point somebody's going to slump his way out of the lineup or get hurt or whatever else. So, yeah, I mean that range is never a bad idea. Two fifty to take a shot on upside in NFBC specifically, where your bench space always feels really restricted, it might be harder to justify there. But you know, I think to the general fantasy player, it's it's not a bad idea to to throw a late round pick at Jordan Walker. No, I think it's a fair point, Scott. The projected outfield right now for the Cardinals, Lars Nupar, Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson. They have Juan Yepes penciled in at DH. They still have Alec Burleson yeah. on their bench, yep. someone who... Had Nolan a, Gorman doesn't yeah. have a clear spot. Yeah, so they've got some names. I, I've seen some Tyler O'Neill trade rumors floated about, so I guess maybe they could do something like that if they want to open up a spot, but uh, we'll see what happens. You know, a big spring training out of Jordan Walker, I don't think that they would hold him back, but... And know, just obviously they got to figure too, it out. You know, Hey, 
they want to maybe get a first round pick and they want to throw this guy out there. They might want to get into that. Think of how much the Cardinals are going to be in this investment market. There's also rumors floating around that they've got a lot of talent that maybe they're going to trade off to help their major league team. I mean, you know, I was just talking with someone about this today. I don't know where Mason Wynn goes right now, especially what if this team gets in on Dansby Swanson? What if they have a little depletion and then you go out and you throw and say, hey, if Jordan Walker's on this team, are we better set with Jordan Walker, Tyler O'Neill, or is it just, you know, cross-cancel each other? Well, guess what? Jordan Walker is on every single list out there. If he breaks camp and he wins Rookie of the Year, which he's got that monster power and speed, you just got yourself a first-round pick and the rich get richer. And clearly they should covet him, and they do because – that was the main piece that the Nationals wanted in the Juan Soto trade, and the Cardinals said no. They were just not willing to go that far to give up Jordan Walker, so they clearly covered wow. him, and and rightfully so. He he is awesome. We saw him out at the AFL, and, and he looked really, really good, too. Really fast. Faster than I thought. Uh, before we take a break, if you listen on Spotify, please keep sending us your Spotify wrapped screenshots on Twitter. Love to see it. Always <laughs> appreciate the love and the support, and... You may have noticed that we have some new short-form content we've been putting out on YouTube uh, and TikTok. We have these 30-second to one-minute videos. The TikTok account, if you want to follow us, please do. At FBT Pod, the link is in the podcast and the YouTube description. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back right after this. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. All right, so the bad news is we're kind of up against it. The good news, there's not really much news to talk about. So I'm just going to quickly run through this. If there's anything that you want to interrupt me about, just feel free to jump in. Uh, But we will start with Shelby Miller. Yes, that's Shelby Miller. He signed a major league deal with the Dodgers. And before you laugh, because I saw that little chuckle, Welsh, (laughs) ask yourself, how did you feel about Tyler and Anderson and Andrew Heaney before this past season? Probably not too good, right? Probably not too good. You gonna do that with Shelby? (laughs) I'm not not saying he's gonna do that. ERA champ (laughs) contender immediately. Uh, with this news, come it's on, probably Andrew Heaney. now, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the role is going to be, but I guess the just minor league. T- tuck it away somewhere. <laughs> Shelby Miller with the Dodgers. The Nationals have kept busy. They signed Jamer Candelario to a one-year deal, 
And he was flat out bad this past season. He hit 217 with 13 home runs in 124 games, but is just one year removed from hitting 271 with 16 home runs. So just a name to remember in deeper mixed leagues, NL only, obviously, Jamer Candelario with the Nationals. And speaking of that team, my man, Stone Garrett signed a one-year deal with the Nats. Uh, and there's actually a decent chance he plays. I was looking at their roster resource. They are just an awful team, so... Why wouldn't they just take a shot and see what he could do? Uh, he hit 276 with four homers and three steals in 27 games with the Diamondbacks last season. Again, this is Stone Garrett. 32% strikeout rate, not good. 92.9 mile per hour average exit velocity. Love it. Very good. Yeah, we like yeah. that. I love when a player like this who just doesn't seem to have a path because of you know he's an, he's an older prospect, a late developing prospect. Uh, he signs with a rebuilding team that doesn't have much going on because, like, that's you know we we've seen players become all stars in that scenario before. I'm not saying Stone Garrett will, but he becomes a a deep sleeper in my eyes by signing with the Nationals. What's the latest on the rumor mill? The Guardians are among the most active suitors for A's catcher Sean Murphy, who I do expect to be traded this offseason. The Yankees have offered Aaron Judge reportedly an eight-year, three hundred million dollar contract. Uh, and I've read that he could sign somewhere by the end of the winter meetings, which are next week. So could be coming pretty soon with Aaron Judge. Wilson Contreras has had discussions with the Astros recently. I mean, geez, they are a, just a juggernaut. They signed Jose Abreu. Now they're going after Wilson Contreras. Who's who's running the team? I thought about that today, too. You know who it's not going to be? It's not going to be Jeff Bagwell, apparently. He doesn't like analytics. <laughs> <laughs> I know he says he says the Astros have embraced. He doesn't like the way they've embraced analytics. They've only been to four of the past six World Series, winning two of them. Yeah, like, I don't think he's just much like room for criticism uh, there. He's just like the dude standing outside the stadium with a sign, be like, "Analytics will be the death of us." And he's just <laughs> like he's just speaking into the void. I don't know what Jeff Bagwell's doing. Uh, I'm I'm not a big Simpsons guy. I'm not opposed to the Simpsons, so I don't even know if I can quote this. But like the old man yelling at Cloud gif is just yeah. like it's yeah. so obvious with Jeff Bagwell. Uh, last but not least, the Mets plan to meet with Carlos Rodon sometime this week. It might have already happened. It might happen later on in the week. I don't know. I haven't heard anything else about it. Let's wrap up with some uh, outfield prospects to know for redraft, and we do have some buy or sell candidates uh, coming up in just a bit. But no surprise, Corbin Carroll. Mentioned the ADP inside the top 70 already over at the NFBC. A few other names here we haven't mentioned yet. Oscar Colas with the Chicago White Sox, a 24-year-old Cuban defector, and he had a really impressive season, batting 314 with 23 home runs, got seven games in a AAA. Roster resource has Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert in left and center field. Wells, would you like to guess who they have in right field? Oh, uh, right. Because let's see. Andrew Vaughn is at first. Um, I have no, I have absolutely Adam Engel. It is Oscar Colas. Oh, yeah. I thought you said Oscar Colas when you were saying Robert, my brain. Yeah, no, I know that because I went and took a look at that earlier. I thought you said Oscar Colas. No, 100%. That was one of the reasons why I threw him on here besides the fantastic season. 23 homers hit 314. Nothing like Uelke Cespedes in that, you know, Uelke was just not hitting anything outside of fastballs. And if you remember, Oscar Colas was the Cuban Otani, as uh, people might recall, where he would pitch out of the bullpen and that's just completely gone. But he's a big monstering guy. He's got a beautiful big home run swing. Wing, doesn't have uh, those inefficiencies that Uelke has, and he's gotten all the way up to AAA that 
this is one of those situations where it's like he's 24 years old. What more are you gaining from this? He just needed to get reps and ramped back up. Uh, this is the game plan. So this is why I put him here at number two, because he's on roster resource as a starter. He might be a guy that breaks camp right out of the way. And if not, he'll be up, I think, very soon, probably right after mm-hmm. control time if they don't sign him to something. And Oscar Colas is going to have some production this year. All yeah. right. Yeah, they, he might have... He might be a, a better pick in the five outfielder league than than even like Jordan Walker because I do think there's a clear – I mean, obviously he's not the caliber of prospect of Walker, but I do think there's a very clear path for Oscar Colas. And of the prospects we've mentioned so far, with the exception of maybe Jackson Churio, uh, Colas is the one that opened my eyes the most in 2022. All right, number three and five on this list of outfield prospects that could contribute this season – Garrett Mitchell and Sal Freelich, both of the Milwaukee Brewers. We know last week they traded Hunter Renfro to the Angels. Minutes after Welsh and I wrapped up on this very podcast, there was this trade goes down. I'm like, ah, we could have talked about it, but we weren't going to fire it back up just for Hunter Renfro. No. Anyway, uh, it, look, there's a chance both of these guys could earn playing time right out of the gate. Garrett Mitchell, I was surprised to see he hit 311 last year in 28 games. I had him on a bunch of teams. It felt like he was hitting under 200. He must have had like three or four awesome games to end the season because that number was not 311 when I had him on my team. I don't know what was going on, but he did steal eight bases. He's extremely fast. He hit the ball really hard. He also strikes out a lot, Garrett Mitchell does. Sal Freelich, the opposite. He makes a lot of contact. I've seen some comps to Stephen Kwan. Scott, you mentioned that the other day. Uh, I saw our yep. industry friend Eric Cross actually make that comp on Twitter the other day as well. Uh, Welsh, do you think both of these guys could earn playing time out of the gate? Garrett Mitchell, Sal Freelick. The Brewers also have Estiari Ruiz and Joey Weimer. So lots of names there, lots of mouths to feed. What do you think? Yeah, Garrett Mitchell's already locked up according to roster resource a gig. I think they might continue with that. I've never been as big as some others. He's got kind of a across his body approach, more of like a ground ball type of thing, which hopefully can change. It's kind of something he had a little bit at UCLA and he continued in the minor leagues, but he steals bases. This is about production. South Freelick, I think, is the better prospect. He's the guy I would want out there. He's already at AAA. I don't I think he played 46 games if I'm remembering correctly. So I don't know how much longer they would want to keep him down there. Makes lots of good contact. Has more of a power potential than a Steven Kwan, I think, but has a lot of that same representation. And I will tell you the one guy I left off this list, but I could have put on because there's a difference for Corbin Carroll, Oscar Colas. And then we are coming down a cliff. I think of production because I don't particularly think Garrett Mitchell is the best of all of these, but I think he's going to break camp. Will Brennan was another guy that I almost put on this list because this is production, but with the guardians, I think it's a little bit tougher to crack that. But I, I like Will Brennan as a prospect better than I like Garrett Mitchell, but Garrett Mitchell has the path. Freelich is the better guy but doesn't have the path that Garrett Mitchell currently has. So that's kind of how I shake those. Yeah, up. and that was kind of weird. Like, I, I kept waiting for the Brewers to call up Sal Freelich late last year because I thought he could make a more immediate impact than uh, than than Garrett Mitchell was. Um, but definitely a much higher floor guy than Mitchell. Lower ceiling guy uh, with, with Mitchell's blazing speed, and he has that raw power. But he strikes out too much, as you point out, Frank. Yeah, and and Mitchell's swing is just goofy. Like it's not. I never like. <laughs> he's not that. really capable of elevating for power with with the 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 swing plane that he has. Uh, so I, I'm I'm kind of bearish on Garrett Mitchell, more bullish on uh, Freelick, and I think Will Brennan, who you point out, is is kind of a poor man's. 
Freelick. Like to the extent Freelick is under the radar, Brennan even more so. Uh, Last point on these two, the early ADP, uh, Garrett Mitchell going at pick 318, South Freelick 570. So there are a lot of deeper drafts going on. The 50 round draft and holds where people are actually drafting that deep into the draft. So not that you're listening to this and you're saying, ah, who's drafting at pick 570? There are some people doing that. I do have Colossus. He is past 500 as well. Really? Yeah. Really? I just wanted to point that out. That's been sticking in my brain. I wanted to ask you, but didn't want to interrupt. But like when I kind of agree with what Scott was saying, like when you're looking at like Jordan Walker and Oscar Colas, just think about that. That's like what? 250, almost 250 pick difference or at least 200. That's pretty wild. Yep. Oscar Colas 531 right now is the ADP. So just throwing it out there. Once we get past the off season and people take stock of the White Sox outfield at that point, and of course, spring training starts. And then, you know, particularly if Oscar Colas is doing something in spring training, his value could potentially skyrocket. Yeah, sure can. So if you're doing these early drafts, just keep that in mind. I mean, Oscar Colas and Sal Freelich super late, definitely names you should be looking at in those formats. Last one I wanted to mention here, Brennan Davis is actually uh, sandwiched around Garrett Mitchell and Sal Freelich. He plays for the Chicago Cubs. There is power speed potential here with Brennan Davis, but he's been limited by this back injury now. I I would say a fairly serious one. He played 53 games this past season. He had surgery on his back, and then he was supposed to play out in the AFL. I think he actually went out there for a few games. He did. And then he left because he's still kind of dealing with this back injury. So, uh, Welsh, how worried are you about that injury? And um, let's just say he's healthy in spring training. Is there a chance he breaks camp with the Cubs? So, well, I mean, anything's possible with the Cubs. Let's not dispute that. Like, anybody could play really anywhere. <laughs> it's really going to be very dependent. They're, they're a wild card because it's going to be dependent on what are they doing free agency that's going to take away. But listen, like, Brennan Davis has had the biggest up and down that you can imagine. He is a big physical talent who has had tons of injuries, which you hate. He was out here on the AFL. I actually saw three games of his, and he crushed a homer. It's on my Twitter if people want to check it out. Is it the Welsh? And he looked better than I've ever seen him before. I think he stole a base. His swing, he can get like – he doesn't kind of all the way follow through, but I think – the way he approaches his at-bats give him a little bit of better path as far as like barreling up balls. And I thought he just looked really good. He looked like that old school Brennan Davis that you really love. But then you got reminded because he was knocked out of the AFL. No one even knew because of the renewed back injury. There were rumors that Brennan Davis was going to make his major league debut this past season. And as far as I know, he was late to the AFL because he had been added to the Cubs taxi squad uh, right at the back end of the season. So like, that's how close we were. He played 40 something games at AAA. I don't know if they're going to want to start clocks. The injury set him back so much. They sent him to the AFL for a very specific reason. I put him on that list because like, he's going to have to go to AAA. He's got to show that he can stay healthy for a bit, but he could be a guy that comes up in May depending what they do. If he were completely healthy and he had played a full go and all the AFL, listen, I think there'd be a very legit shot that he breaks camp with the team and they just get that going and start it up now. And he would be, I don't know, he might be number two on this list. I like Brandon Davis a little bit more than other people, but there's also a trend in me that I give up on guys a little bit less, especially the bigger talent players. I give up on them less than a lot of other people. So Robert Hassel, Brandon Davis, I saw signs of it in the AFL that's why I think we should pay attention. And he's not going to be held down. The only thing that's going to hold him down in the minors this year is going to be his back. All right. Well, let's wrap up with a few buy or sell candidates in Dynasty, or I guess Keeper Leagues we could throw in this discussion, specifically at the outfield position. Scott, I know that this is your specialty, baby. How many do you have? Five, ten of each? 
<laughs> I'm still <laughs> jotting down names. It's actually, it's actually tough at this position to come up with buy lows and sell highs because totally there is such an early drop off and an extreme drop off. It's like anybody who's anybody who you think is good, you kind of want to hold on to. Um, and then there are a few beyond that who you see a lot of potential to improve. But okay. Without being so wishy-washy, I will call Eloy Jimenez a buy low. Uh, I think uh, the way he came on after his time with the injury showed he has that, you know, 290 hitting 30, 35 homer potential still, but the injuries and, and the frustrations of that have kind of taken it out of people's minds. He's not a base stealer, so that devalues him some in people's minds. But I, I, think, uh, I think he's going to be well-suited for the environment we're entering into. Tyler O'Neill call, call a buy low. Don't know what happened with his quality of contact this year, uh, but he's really strong, and I think he can get it back. Uh, sell high. I'm going to put Adolis Garcia here, and I'm kind of taking every opportunity I can to talk him down. Uh, I, I think you know people who are, you know if they're just making a quick trade, they might not consider how old he is. He's 29, I think. And he's recently emerged, so uh, I, I think there's going to be a tendency for people to presume he's younger than he actually is. And uh, major plate discipline issues there, which I never like. Uh, so Jared Kelnick and Byron Buxton, I could go either way with. I'd be inclined, and, and I guess we could put Joe Adele in this group too. Kelnick and Adele kind of in the same boat. <laughs> I'd if the cost is next to nothing, I'll buy. And I think it could be next to nothing because they've done next to nothing with repeated opportunities. I think Adele is almost nothing. I think Kelnick, there's still more, but I agree. I think Adele is almost nothing at this point, especially after that Renfro trade. I'm to the point with both of them where I'll be surprised, not fall out of my chair surprised, but I'll be surprised if they turn into uh, significant fantasy assets. So... I'm if if there's somebody who's eager to buy low, I might be inclined to sell low in a way that I actually think is kind of high, if that makes sense. All right, well, uh, she. Oh no, Scott, oh, you're still you going. Want, okay, all right. No, 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 no. It's gonna keep. I, I love the Scott. Just keep rolling. We can just keep letting him roll. Yeah. There's one that's. Like, there's one you want to get out. There's one you want to get out. I, I kind of saved my favorite two for last year. <laughs> buy low. Alex Kirilov. I will never give Love up on that. Alex Kirilov. <laughs> he, he got that wrist shaved down. Like he actually had the bone Ugh. reduced. <laughs> sounds gruesome. Like it a sounds haircut. like out of the Jeez. movie Gattaca. But hopefully that resolves the wrist issues once and for all. And we'll see the true Alex Kirilov finally. And uh, I also consider Brian Reynolds a buy low. He's not that young, but... I think he'll be out of Pittsburgh soon, which will help his run RBI production tremendously. And he's at—he's he, a fast runner who doesn't steal bases, so I could see his stolen base total skyrocketing, uh, in in with the rule changes taking effect next year and uh, everybody running more aggressively because of it. Unless he goes to the Miami Marlins, because that is a rumor I have seen floated around. So I'd still be better than Pittsburgh, I think. Not much better. But can't get much worse than Pittsburgh. All right, Welshie, who you got? Some buy or sell candidates at the outfield position. 
Now, is this for Dynasty or Redraft? They, they will work for both, but I'm just curious if you care which one I give you. Uh, like Dynasty Keepers. Okay. Uh, Luis Robert. I'll go with the other White Sox uh, outfielder. Luis Robert is on my list. Projections are in favor. Uh, he still put up some big hit numbers last year. He's kind of like a Brennan Day. This is kind of my MO, too. It's just like I'm such an excuse giver for guys that can get perpetually injured. But I just there's something I just can't give up on with major power. Um, you saw a big kind of sinking ISO this past year, but I think that was heavily dealing with the injuries. Uh, projections are pretty much in favor of getting close to like a 25-15 season. He still had good slug numbers. I think I was just looking at this. Uh, he had a 449 X slug compared to his 426, and his uh, expected batting average was only a couple notches lower than his 284. So I'm still into Luis Robert. I think he comes a bunch cheaper, which I dig. Uh, a weird one, just like Seiya Suzuki. I think Seiya Suzuki is, is yes. not necessarily like a classic dynasty guy, but I just think his value is so incredibly low, and he should showed such great plate discipline. I think he's going to be a whole bunch more in there frank you you're down with uh say out with me uh, i'm i was just scrolling through adp i'm like ah, oh, let me see if i can find a few names he was one that just like jumped off the screen yep. for me so i'm with yeah you. and projected 26 homers this year on steamer and i'll also throw out riley green riley green is one i just think no one gives much thought to in the top prospect side he is a very very advanced hitter uh he's a stolen base and power guy plays with a garbage team. I think he's being riddled in with Spencer Torkelson's horrible run, and he's a much better player than people are giving him. And everyone's looking at one year and canceling him out. Go buy Riley Green right now. And if I'm selling, you know, this is an odd one for you, but I'm, I think I might be selling Dalton Varsho. Uh, one of the reasons Ooh. behind it, even though he put up some good numbers, you know, I mean, obviously high power totals and stolen bases. There's a lot of trade rumors that are out there. If he gets moved out of the Diamondbacks stadium, I might be a little bit worried. Also, this might be his last year at catcher. You know, it really might yeah. be if he loses that qualification. He's unique in that like the nut, like a 27 homer, 16 stolen base season he had keeps you as a great outfielder still, but he's got a real poorish average. Um, he has not hit over 250 in his major league career so far. His strikeout numbers are rising. His walk numbers lowered a little bit and he might lose catching eligibility. That might be someone I look at as far as uh, one of my outfield cells who's kind of a cheat because he's also a catcher. I think this one kind of might be cheating as well. I, I, I buy high, a buy medium, maybe Oscar Gonzalez. I, I don't know if people realize how good he is, or I, I think he's going to be a pretty good player. So just batting average, maybe closes in on 20 home runs or something. But I do like the skill set quite a bit. Lars Newbar like had that awesome run last year and then really fell off the face of the map. But I think the Cardinals organization likes him quite a bit. I like him quite a bit. A random one. You might even just be able to pick him up in your dynasty leagues. Brian De La Cruz. His stat cast page is awesome. I don't know if it's going to translate. He was really good the final month of the season. Maybe it turns into something. He's 25 years old, but he absolutely crushes the ball. Uh, three players I wanted to ask you guys just real quickly. Former top prospects. Kind of what you were saying about Riley Green, Welsh. Alec Thomas, Josh Lowe, Jesus Sanchez. Would you be looking to buy on any in Dynasty right now? Oh man. You could say I don't no. Know if I, you could say I, no. I don't yeah. think I am. I love Alec Thomas, but I think uh, I think the power numbers and so I think he's just going to be one of those guys that never puts up big counting stats. I've always loved Jesus Sanchez, but I think the swing and miss is always a problem, bigger power. Who is the third one? Josh Lowe from the race. Nah, I've never been crazy into Josh Lowe. He needs a new destination. Josh Lowe, if given a new team, might be kind of the best of all of them. So if I had to pick one, if you made me pick one of those, it would probably be Josh Lowe. Scott, any? I'm pretty much out on all three. 
Uh, if you're making me pick one, though, I think I would pick Alec Thomas just because I think he has the most to work with. He's like the most skilled of the players. So, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not totally sure what direction he's going to take, but I don't think there's quite enough power for him to, uh, for him to become an impact player in fantasy. All right, Scott, well, uh, meet me here after the podcast because I have Alec Thomas in the Scott White Dynasty League, and who knows, <laughs> maybe we make a little deal. What do you say? Mm. I guess <laughs> probably not. Ooh, we got a deal brewing. I heard that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I've got Alec Thomas and Jesus Sanchez on the team, so probably not the best. That's a good place to wrap up. For Scott and Welsh, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again next week. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.